Cat get you? <laughs> yes. Uh, knives. She's made of knives. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Um, Danielle's with us again. Hi. We're still missing you. Yeah, Ashlyn, we miss you. I hope she's listening to all these. Hi, Ashlyn. Back soon. Do you like it? I'm sorry if I've been terrible. No. This episode is like Monsters Under the Bed. Over That's what it was originally, but it got out of hand. Um, it was going to be like paranormal and spooky. I'm close enough to the microphone. No. <laughs> um, but then I got to these two cases that I knew about both of them, but I really liked like getting into detail about them. Um, they're both need to be told, I guess, and they're both solved. So, but I guess there's a little bit of a mystery um, in a little bit of mine, but we'll get to that. Um, but I hope you like them as much as like our paranormal, spooky, like conspiracy theory episodes. Yeah, uh, I was, um, I, we had tried to get more information on a, a different case for the umpteenth uh, week in a row, and we're, like, Kelly is still I'm doing searching. boss hog research for it, uh, so I appreciate you, um, but I was like, what about, like, an under-the-bed case, and Kelly was like, these two, and I was like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, um, it's, these cases are both horrifying, uh, we were talking about, like, under-the-bed cases, and, uh, I think, which one was, oh, I, I was talking about the, the one that ended up being my case. Yeah. You brought up the, the one other that one. ended up being your case, and I was like, oh, I can't cover that case because I've done too much research, and it's literally it's... one of the few that makes me feel, like, queasy. Like, it, it is so bad. And also, it's not monsters under the bed, it's monsters on top of the bed. Yeah! Like, the, the people under the bed are wonderful. Um, anyway, do you want to just get started? Yeah, I guess so. Um, so, uh, yeah, all of the intros being said, here we go. Um, so I guess I'll just get started. My case is Colleen Stan, aka the girl in the box. I'm going to be emotionally reacting the entire time. This case, like, already is making my head floaty. I hate it. I hate this case. Me too. Um, but again, like, I think it needs to be told. No, so. it does. It does. So, uh, and I'm not going to get into the graphic details. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of podcasts on this case. This is going to be a <coughs> overview. This yeah, is going to be an want, overview. Uh, if you want the nitty gritty, go get that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, because I can't. Um, anyway, okay, Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. First, we're going to talk about Marie Elizabeth Spanicky, who was 19 years old when she was walking home from her boyfriend's house. Um, in Chico, California, at about 4 o'clock p.m. Um, in 1976. This is the last time she has ever been seen. There are no reports of her body ever being found, and there's no proof as to where she went. She literally just vanished. All we have in the case of her disappearance is a confession that a wife made against her husband eight years after the supposed abduction. Janice Hooker claims that she, who was pregnant at the time, and her husband Cameron were driving around looking for a young woman to kidnap and torture. They were out prowling when they came across Marie Elizabeth, who was also nicknamed Marliz, um, and they decided that she would be the perfect victim. She claimed that they had made a deal, Cameron and Janice had made a deal. Um, if she was allowed to have a baby, he was allowed to look for a sex slave, and she got what he wanted, so they went searching for a sex slave. Janice claims they picked up Marliz as a hitchhiker. They took her to the destination, and as she stepped out of the car, Cameron, Cameron grabbed her wrist and pulled her back in, and they took her home to their basement. They hung her on the rafters, assaulted her in a lot of different ways, and then shot her in the stomach with a yeah. pellet gun. They only had her around a day or so before strangling her. Janice claims they buried a body near Lassen Park, but because they didn't confess for eight years and it was snowing a lot when they buried the body, they were unable to find to find her, even with Janice's help. And we have nothing to tie the hookers to this disappearance other than Janice Hooker's testimo testimony. Marliz is still officially listed as missing and endangered, and all we know, like, however... Like, all we know about this case is that just a year later, Cameron and Janice would abduct another girl in, a, like, an eerily similar way. Um, and this time, instead of keeping her for a day, they kept her locked away in a box under the bed for the next seven years. <sighs> okay. So, Colleen. She is, unfortunately, that next victim. Colleen Stan was born December 31st, 1956. She was fun, free-spirited, excitable kid. Um, she had been married young, but sadly it ended in divorce. But she found a little family as, like, kind of like an au pair for, like, a young couple and their young young child so she was you know living her life um in her own way and she was enjoying it one day she decided she wanted to surprise her friend and she left her home in eugene oregon to go to northern california to go visit her friend um she decided to hitchhike there because it was the 70s and it was like a really normal thing to do was to hitchhike even though that's crazy to me now she packed her backpack and sleeping bag and she left in may 1977 well it's because of cases like this and other ones that it is crazy to us now you know back yeah. then like it 
this was still like pre-door lock uh, True. time you know and i guess now we have uber which isn't ideal it's, either it's crazy to me that like that's normal to us given that we're all stranger danger don't get into anybody's car and then we make the exception because it was exactly wild, it's nuts. don't talk anyway. to, don't talk to people online don't talk to anyone and get in their cars but here talk to a stranger online and to get in their car uh-huh anyway interesting, interesting um so she had hitchhiked quite a ways and nothing bad happened she only needed a few more rides to complete her trip um she turned down two rides in a row knowing who was safe to get in the car and who wasn't she felt that bad vibes from these two encounters so she just didn't get into their cars that's right then yeah so she already like turned down two rides one she said because there was full of like young boys and she like didn't feel comfortable the other one i'm not sure exactly what happened but i just like hate that you know we can't tell her that like they have this crazy deal you'll never know in a million years like yeah, do not get in this car because how would you know because the car that pulled no, up no you would never know it was a young couple and their baby their 8 month old baby and like the baby is the thing that you trust and that you think is like the yeah. key to like oh they're safe no the baby is actually the key to this whole thing because the baby is like the deal yeah. thing for for the lady that she was like i got a baby so you can have this so you can have this but it's like when you it's like when you have a kid and like you're like if you're ever lost go up to a mom and her baby because like they're the safe ones yeah but oh it just blows my mind i'm not like blaming the kid obviously i'm just saying like you would never know in a million years because the baby is usually the thing you trust exactly oh yeah this person has a baby that means that they're caring and loving and safe and And that's why she was there in the first place like to lure like that's why cameron brought them along right oh so nuts Cameron was only 23 and his wife was 19 and thinking that they were safe because, hey, it's a woman and a baby. She mm-hmm. hopped in and told him where she was headed. And good news, that's where they were headed too. Um, they made it. A, they made small talk for a while when they pulled over at a rest stop to get some gas. Colleen went to the bathroom where she had this little voice in her head telling her to jump out the window and run. She thought she could just escape out the window and just run away. But she brushed off that thought because it was a couple and their baby and she was about to get to her destination. Like, she was almost there. She didn't listen to that intuition and she would learn that she should not have brushed that thought off and instead got back in her car yeah they weren't being super creepy uh in this in this uh drive up to this point but she just got this nagging feeling about it and i really wish that she would have been able to to listen to that yeah but i mean i'm guilty of that like if i have a bad feeling about something i'm probably still gonna do it i mean not I worry about you. We can't leave you outside for a minute alone. Well, I mean, that's just a normal thing to do. You think, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, what am I freaking out about? That's, like, a very normal thought process. I don't know, I guess. Like, if it feels – maybe it's because I'm very small. But, like – You are very small. I'm very big. If I I get the feeling of, like, oh, this is unsafe, I'm going to be like, cool, um, you know, my dog needs its hair braided. I'm going to go. That's the smarter uh, way to do it. You know what I mean? Like, or I'm going to be like, yeah, I got to trim my cat's nails and tell her I love her so much. She misses me terribly. I got to go. Uh, I've I, I've texted my mom and asked her to call me and do that thing that you do in high school when you don't want to go to someone's <laughs> house when you're like, mom, I, can I go to Sarah's? And she's like, no. Oh, and darn. My mom said no. I can't. Yeah. I'll be like, mom, I need you to call me and like tell me to come home. My mom lives five hours from me. Like, that's not possible. But it is today. So call your moms if you need them. Anyway, keep going. Anyway, she got back in the car, and a little bit later, Cameron Hooker asked if she wanted to go see some ice caves. She wasn't really in a position to, like, demand the destination, so Colleen was like, yeah, I guess, like, you're driving. I don't really have a choice. Um, so they took her down a secluded dirt road, and they were like, don't worry. This is where the ice caves are. Just just hang. Just chill. And it was, like, broad daylight, so, like, she was like, okay, but, like, okay. Suddenly, the woman, Janice Hooker, got out with the baby and walked up a little hill away from the car. Confused, Colleen, like, tried to see where she was going and, like, leaned over when when Cameron jumped in the back seat with her and held her at knife point. He gagged her and then grabbed a box that had been sitting in the back seat the whole time and strapped it over her head and locked it shut. That was the thing that she had seen in the beginning she of the saw drive. the box and didn't think anything of and, it no she did she was she was nervous about it but she was like i don't know what that is like nobody would know what that is right you and don't so, think it's a box for your head no and ever. so is she but that box was one of the things that made her uneasy and that's you know she just ignored it and was like i'm almost there so it's because just it's so sad you it's would so crazy. never think oh no. that box is gonna go on my head and, no and he made all this stuff like we're gonna talk about a lot of like devices he made it all like he's a 
as bad as it is, he's like a good craftsman. So this box wasn't just a box. He's a bad craftsman. A bad craftsman. But it was like, it like clipped over her head. So like, it like clipped on like a wrap tight around her neck, basically. Uh-huh. She said it was about 20 pounds, yeah. dark and insulated, so she could barely hear or breathe. And insulated she definitely couldn't see. Yeah. They drove somewhere with her in the head box. Not She wasn't sure what direction they were going or, like, what was happening because how would you? And at one point, she smelled fast food and realized that the family had stopped for cheeseburgers while she was in the back seat, um, most likely to, like, wait for the sun to go the sun to go back down, which I can't imagine, like, going through that drive-thru. So, I mean, you have to imagine, like, she's not sitting up with this thing. No, she's laying. It's, it's so heavy that you can't, like, she could not sit up. It's also a little bit taller than like your actual head head Mm -hmm. so there's not a way for her to sit up with this thing so she's laying down no one can see her yep when they made it to their home after nightfall she was stripped and led into the couple's basement by her wrists naked and i'm not going to get into all the details about how they tortured her because i can't um she was literally tortured in every way you can imagine and more um eventually she blacked out and woke up hanging from the ceiling with cameron and janice having sex beneath her uh being suspended by her wrists yeah and she says that she has, like, back and shoulder issues, like, even now. Mm-hmm. Because how could you not? It, the, and she was suspended there for hours. Yep. Hours and hours and she doesn't and even know how long because she was out for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, that night, they made her sleep in a coffin-shaped box that Cameron had made. Um, and they put her in, like, head first, like, face down. And throughout the night, Cameron came down intermittently to place a hand on her back. And Colleen wasn't sure if it was to scare her or to check if she was still alive. Colleen says about her first night... I was terrified. Janice watched as Cameron tortured me, and then they had sex in front of me. I was convinced they were going to kill me. I was tied up and put in a wooden box measuring three foot by six feet for the rest of the night. And, like, even this girl being able to talk about this is insane. Like, she's a different type. Mm-hmm. Um, but now she was a part of this deal that the couple made. She was Cameron's sex slave, and he was allowed to have one because he gave Janice a baby. And I'm conflicted on Janice. Like, she met Cameron when she was 15 and he was 19. They were married one year later. She she was groomed. She was groomed. She was, she, there is a point where she goes from being a victim to, to being, being uh, an, abuser. an abuser. So I'm not conflicted on her. The moment she that sucks. she decided to uh, agree to all of this and then assisted in executing it, she became a perpetrator, and exactly. I have no no good feelings towards her at she all. She was, like, the classic abuse cycle, and he took out his dark sexual fantasies on her without her consent. Um, eventually, she did start consenting because she needed that aftercare because she that's the part she liked because she had always been, like, thrown to the side. So she liked, like, when he would hold her and tell her she did good and all the stuff she never heard before. Um when agreeing to the sex slave, Janice made Cameron promise not to have penetrative sex with her um, because he didn't. She didn't want him like cheating on her. I don't. I go stupid. Um, so instead of rape, it was oral and the use of intima- um, implements to rape her. And so I kind of feel bad for Janice, but do I like the woman who agreed to have a sex slave living under her bed and said nothing for seven years? Uh, no way. She sucks. Um, I feel bad for fifteen-year-old Janice. I don't feel bad yeah. for this woman. Yeah. Um, soon Colleen was taken out of the basement, um, but taken with a head box on to another location. They arrived in a mobile home, even more secluded than before. Cameron had constructed an even worse box, and it was about the size of a small coffin with the head box inside, so she would be in a head box, in a box, in, like, a bigger, like, bed frame box. So she was in three boxes. Um, this box was built into their bed frame, and so she laid under the bed all day. She said it would get sweltering in the summer and freezing in the winter, and Cameron cut a hole in the box to stick a hairdryer on cold in there so she wouldn't overheat, but, like, obviously that doesn't work. And Colleen said the noise just made it even worse, like that, like, constant noise. Yeah. Colleen was let out of the box for about an hour a day at this point to be fed scraps, abused by Cameron, to do chores, and to watch the kids. Because they soon had two little girls, and in fact, one of the girls was born on the waterbed above the box where Colleen was. Like, Janice literally gave birth above her. The kids were told that Colleen was like a babysitter and would go home every night, and they had no idea that she was under a box under their parents' bed. Within a few months, they got Colleen and instructed her to move the bl- to remove the blindfold. She said this is, like, certain when they knew that, oh, they were going to kill me now because they want me to remove the, bi- the blindfold. Yeah. Um, she did it, but, like, really didn't want to. Instead, they gave her a contract, and the contract stated that he was part of a company called The Company. Oh, my God, I hate this part so much. Mm-hmm. This is so infuriating yeah, but you're that abused like you i get why she'd fall for it no i know it's just like yes the level of uh manipulation is just so so bad bad um well a company he said traded people like um 
So she thinks at this point that this guy is like, um, like a human of a, trafficker. Yeah, a human yeah. sex trafficker. And exactly. so the company is just like, uh, obviously like a, a cover name for a big underground organization that's like trading people around. Exactly. And so she genuinely, I mean, how could you not when you've been kept alive this long exactly. and, you know, abused? And you know that when they take the blindfold off, you're supposed to die unless something unless, weird is going unless on. Unless they're never planning on letting you leave. Yeah, yeah. So, Which, I don't really get that because he they saw all of, like, she saw all of their faces, but I don't think these are, like, criminal masterminds. No, um, no, no, no. No, they're stupid. Anyway, this company apparently traded people. Um, they said her name would now be K, and he would be Master, even though her name was Colleen with a C. He said K. Um, by signing it, she was agreeing to give up all of her rights. Carmen also threatened that the company was everywhere. If she tried to escape, not only would she be captured, but her family would be killed too. They said they would nail her to a cross if she ever said anything. Um, Cameron also said Janice was one of the girls who tried to get away, and they hurt her, so now she has permanent knee damage, and Ca- Janice was standing right there with her knee in a brace. Colleen was terrified, but, like, you really don't have a choice, so she signed the contract. Yeah, uh, she did all of this under duress, so oh, it's yeah. not, uh, she didn't consent to any of this because What choice she do you have? To. Yeah, she just, oh, poor thing. Yeah, no, but, yeah. With the contract, more freedoms did slowly arise. She was able to babysit the two little girls. She was... <gasps> Sorry, dog. my dog just, like, put a little bit of water on my leg. And <laughs> I don't do dog spit or wet oh my god this this case is bad and this feeling is bad everything sucks the only thing worse would be wet socks on top of it eventually he even took her jogging like around and she learned to like like jogging and she was eventually able to go jogging without him because with the threat of the company she was too scared to try anything to run away right she was allowed to spend time upstairs and she helped cameron build a dungeon under a shed in the backyard and he told her that that's where he would be his wife and he intended to have five more wives. And he said Colleen would be the one in charge of training the new girls. Um, I guess what, cho- again, what choice do you have? This guy's like, here, dig. You're like, okay. Like, you know, she wasn't choosing to do any of these things. No. In March 1981, Cameron was giving her even more freedoms. And this time she was even allowed to see her family. Like, this this whole part is just so insane to I me. showed you the picture of them last night that they took at the family's house. I remember, it's, once you showed it to me, I remember having seen it before. It's and like terrifying. The, the, yeah, it, this is nuts. This is nuts. Yeah. Um, anyway, first, he took her to some random office buildings at Sacramento, stating that the company headquarters were there. And he kind of kept up this lie where he always said Sacramento is where the company headquarters were. So this made sense to her. Um, he went in the office building and left her in the car. She thought he was meeting with the company, um, and then he came out, and he was like, oh, they don't need to see you. We're good to go, but, like, you know, they know you're visiting your family, so you better watch it, and so she's like, okay, I better watch it, um, and then they went to her mother's house. In the time she was missing, her parents divorced, and her mother had remarried, and she had siblings that she had never met. She introduced Cameron as her fiancé, and the family didn't think too much of it. Later, they said they thought she had joined a cult because she had been gone for so long. She had no money and homemade clothes, like, no communication for years. They didn't press that hard to be like, yo, where have you been? Because they thought she was in a cult, and they were just so happy to see her again. They, Cameron originally said that they were going to be gone for, there for a whole weekend, but they were only there overnight. So that was pretty sad for her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But then they got in the car back together, and they went back. This is when Cameron thought he might have given her too much freedom, so she went back in the box, and that's the longest stretch she was in the box, and she spent three years under there. So she was out and, like, had earned up all that freedom for about, what, it was, like, a year or two? Or a couple, yeah. Um, then- yeah, it, it took about two years to get all the way into a space where she had any kind of yeah. actual human freedom, could use a bathroom normally, could, like, do uh, any any Anything. semblance of a life. And then back in the box. For years, y'all. Years. Like, what were you doing three years ago? Like, I can't even imagine what I was doing three years ago. And then having spent that whole time in a box. I mean, my life was very different. And I feel like, you know, okay, so honestly, okay, so uh, feel free to cut this part out. But, okay, we don't have to imagine. We've all been there, sort of, in a in a non-relative way. So imagine being in COVID and being in a in your apartment for three years. Cool. So this is that times five trillion. It yeah. literally like trapped in a box the size of a coffin and only let out an hour a day. Couldn't like couldn't go to the normal bathroom, uh, if unless she was let out, and so she'd have to hold it all day long. Mm-hmm. 
Or have a bedpan. And, like, it's not like she could touch her face either because there was another box. Yeah. And, you know, she can barely, like, I cannot stress to you how claustrophobia-inducing this, the head box was. She cannot see anything. There's carpet everywhere. It is so heavy. The part that goes around your neck is not, yeah, it's, it is wild. She said, um, well, she didn't say, I heard that there's, like, a theory that the reason that he's doing this is to, like, make sure she doesn't have any type of routine. Yeah. Like, just, like, taking away freedoms and giving them back because, like, even if you have, like, the worst routine in the world, like, where you just lay in a box, like, your brain can, like, adjust to a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you switch that up, you don't have that anymore. Yeah. Um, how did she explain that she was leaving? She ran around to all the neighbors that she knew because she would jog on her own and she was told everyone she was moving away and then she was gone and no one thought anything of it. Eventually and slowly, she was given some more of her, like, quote-unquote freedoms back to go upstairs. This is when she and Janice started bonding over reading the Bible. And, of course, Cameron twisted the Bible into, like, being insane and making them even more submissive. Um, Like, you know, you have to obey your man or whatever. Again, after three years, this is when he is allowing her to get into the Bible. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, we're going to get into the Bible because it's anything but it's being in the head else. box. Yeah, anything else. Um, and he made them wear, like, ski masks when they read the Bible. Because oh, my God, this seen. head stuff. I know. Maybe he has a head thing. I don't know. I hate it. I hate, hate it. I hate this man. Anyway, like, the Bible is starting to make them even more submissive. Um, but the two women still bonded over reading it, and Janice started to humanize Colleen and started thinking, hmm, maybe I'm a trash human being who's been keeping a human being against their will. Wow. I just realized that. I'm an idiot. Anyway, in August 1984, Cameron told her she needed a job to pay off some debts she had to the company, and so she started working as a motel maid. One day, Janice um, just walked in and started to tell her everything. She said Cameron was not a part of the company and there was nothing keeping her here and that she could leave if she wanted, but she was very careful not to tell Colleen that the company wasn't real, just that Cameron wasn't a part of it. So how do we feel about Janice? We don't like her. Um, no, we hate her. No, we hate her. Um, so, yeah, she is a monster, but she did tell Colleen about this. So after um, – and then after they escaped, so they had to go home and they had to spend one last night with Cameron, like, to gather their things and their kids and stuff. Um, but soon – Meaning the two women are going to escape together? Yes, they're okay. going to escape together. Um, but Janice had to get her kids and stuff. But we hate Janice because she went right back to Cameron after that. Ew. And, like, you have two little girls. Clearly this man is not safe around girls and women. So, like, don't bring your kids back there. <sighs> anyway, they spent the one last night and they left the next day. Colleen called Cameron and told him that she was leaving. And apparently he broke down crying, but Colleen didn't go back. She Good. Ca- she caught a bus home, um, but she didn't call the police right away. She wanted to give Hooker a chance. Um, and she called him multiple times in the next month. Three months later, Janice is the one who reported her husband to the police. She informed Lieutenant Jerry D. Brown of the Red Buff Police Station that they had kidnapped and tortured and murdered, not Colleen, but Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. Um, However, since there was no body, there was nothing to bring to court. Instead, Colleen's abduction then came to light. Um, So they just kind of forgot about Marla Spanicky, and then they are on um, Colleen now. Um, Janice testified against her husband for full immunity, which I'm glad she testified against him, but girls should go to jail. Yeah, I'm so sad that they had to give her a deal. I know. But I'm glad they, like, got Cameron away, because he's worse. I, they're both horrible. No, yeah, both terrible, but, Cameron. Uh, yeah, he is the instigator here, for yeah. sure. Uh, I, doesn't absolve her at all, but I, you know, I'm glad that any justice can be served. I just wish that it could be equal to both parties. Exactly. So, he was sentenced to 104 years in prison, which is great, but because of COVID, they were possibly granting Hooker parole in March 2021, but he did not, as of now, get that parole. Good. And it's 2022. Um, his next appeal is in 2030. I don't know how that's a, a 104 years, but whatever. Like, he's not going to get out. Well, I hope. Well, so, it w- I mean, it would. it's life with possibility of parole, so they have to do however many parole hearings until he runs out. It's usually, I don't know, depending on your case, like, what, uh, I don't know, 6 to 12 or something. He should like, get zero. Yeah. Uh, but this is why uh, people get held off of the uh, death penalty for a long time, too, because they have a certain number of appeals that they can uh, apply for, usually. Yeah. So... 
Colleen, anyway, studied for her accounting degree. She, quote, tried to move on to a normal life, but misery followed her. A string of failed marriages and a troubled child now in jail. I don't know if that means she's in jail or her child, but either way, this poor girl went through so much. Um, she suffers from permanent back and shoulder pain. But eventually, like, as a little bit of, like, a happy ending, she became a registered associate social worker and is worked and is working as a mental health professional. Um, the hookers still live in California, but none of them communicate. Wow. And that's Colleen Stan. I... Uh, that's, like, the scariest case, I think. Yeah, I... Yeah, it it's such a horrible case. And it's so awful. And it's hard to say I'm glad she lived. I'm glad that she is alive. But what kind of awful, awful recovery that you have to go through like you can't ever have a normal life like no, that you know never. And how terrible of both of these people to rob this person of any chance of a normal life exactly and like seven years of your life that went away like that's like if I were abducted in high school and was just now getting out like it's that long like that feels like my entire lifetime ago yeah actually those ages do kind of line up because yeah, that'd be like me being abducted in high school mm-hmm. and then getting out now at 25. Yeah, that would be absolutely terrifying. I... I don't know how this girl survived. And like, at, I don't know. I wish you could just will yourself to die. Not that I wish you would have done that, but like how unfair is it that you can't? No, I mean, amazing that she had the will to live. Yeah. You know? And the uh... will to like make something of herself after. Yeah, that's what's really impressive to me is like, uh, yes, I also wish that in certain situations that people could will themselves, like, if they knew they weren't going to get out of it, I wish that some other victims could have given themselves that opportunity, because, like, oh my gosh, some of the things that we've covered and will cover, so spooky, but, like, what a, what an awesome turn of the coin in that other way that she did have such an incredible will to live. I'm mm-hmm. so sad that her life wasn't able to turn out better. She's still young. She's, like, what? She was born in the 80s or the 70s. She's still only, like, in her 40s. Is that math at all right? 80 to 90, 90 to 10, 90 to 0, 0 to 10, 10 to 20. I mean, she's, like, 40-some, almost 50. So She's got half of her life left. Yeah. Like, I, you girl's know, stronger than me. Yeah, she's she's doing great. I hope that uh, she's able to continue um, getting the the mental health services that can possibly help her have any any chance at having more normalcy. I don't think that there's any kind of way to have a perfectly normal life after something like that. But getting closer to any kind of normalcy is a good goal, and I I wish her nothing but healing and hope for a better future. We're calling Stan Stans. Yeah, we are. Um, All right. Do you want to get to yours? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, my case is not a, uh, like, it doesn't have um, any kind of rainbows about the ending. Um, There's no silver lining there. Mine is a murder case, and it is the murder of Maddie Clifton. So, Maddie Clifton was born on June 17th in 1990 in Jacksonville, Florida. She had one older sister named Jessie and um, lived with her mom and her dad. She was described as a really happy, outgoing, and perfect mix of a little tomboy and girly girl. She loved playing outside and getting dirty, but she also loved playing uh, piano and dancing. She had lots of friends and was a happy eight-year-old girl. She grew up in a little cul-de-sac neighborhood with other kids like a typical 90s childhood um kelly wrote these notes and i love that you think that you know what a typical 90s childhood i i had a typical 90s childhood you were born like in the later part of the 90s yeah i was a child in the 90s you were a baby in the 90s you were an infant in the 90s you don't remember the 90s no yeah okay (laughs) there we go okay just okay this is funny to me that part is funny to me. This case is not funny to me. Okay. What? You can laugh at me, but I also wrote in there that we did it in 2007, where we lived on a street and everyone just ran crazy. I mean, we did. But, like, that's also, uh, you know, this is also the, like, post-Street Lights Come On era. And 
there's probably a parent somewhere, like either on the, you know, somewhere, anyway. November 3rd, 1998, Maddie was playing around the cul-de-sac with her friends. Um, like we established, they live in Jacksonville, Florida, so um, it's a nice little night to run around and just be kiddos. It was super fun and safe. Um, that particular evening, she had helped her family take down the Halloween decorations, and then she finished her piano lessons. After that, she had a little bit of time before dinner, so her parents um, sent her outside to play. Um, starts playing and hitting golf balls with her neighbor, um, and the neighbor is in his 40s. His name is Larry Grisham, and he lives at the end of their street. Who's Larry? Well, he had some offenses on his record, including two sexual assault assault charges it is unknown if they were against children or not um we're not sure if the family knew if uh larry had these charges like we don't know if they knew um but either way she was playing with him and hitting balls back and forth soon they ran out of golf balls and she goes home to get more family helps her look she finds some skips back out to play and they're playing with this you know she's playing with this neighbor again um, this is the last time her family would ever see her. At dinner time, 11-year-old Jessica returns home. Her mom asks where Maddie is, and she says she didn't know. She hadn't seen her in a long time. A bit annoyed at her daughter, who had not come home for dinner, um, mom starts wandering around the neighborhood knocking on doors. Um, there were neighbors everywhere, people that would have recognized a strange car or someone they didn't know, but nobody saw anything suspicious. Um, she had to still be in the neighborhood somewhere. It was like she shut the door and just poof, vanished off the face of the earth, said her father, Steve. By 6.33 p.m. that evening, Sheila Clifton suddenly realized that her child is actually missing. She contacts 911. Her mom kept standing in the front yard screaming for her so distressed that she peed her pants and didn't even notice which is so sad and it, it just really shows how upset she is neighbors all joined up for the search for maddie her sister jessica and one of her best friends 14 year old joshua phillips rode their bikes to see if they could find her everyone was screaming her name and looking up and down in this neighborhood everywhere they could think of but no one could find maddie where was she? Where did she go? There seems to be a pretty clear answer. Larry. Larry Gresham had 29 arrests on his record. The charges vary, but here we go. Auto theft, driving under the influence, two counts of sexual battery five years apart. Both charges sub subsequently dropped. As police officers looked into this whole situation, they're like, it's gotta be Larry. Case closed. Duh. Police start uh, searching for Larry Grisham. Um, they look through his house nine times they question him 20 times and he fails a polygraph uh we know polygraphs aren't reliable they're not used in court but they're still uh helpful in indicating uh potential guilt uh sometimes he was also supposedly the last one to see maddie alive it is very obvious that he is responsible he claims that he had nothing to do with this case he says that maddie never came back after going to find the golf balls and um, had assumed that the parents had just kept her for dinner. As frustrating as this was, they couldn't seem to tie him to the crime. He offered up his DNA for testing and kept insisting that he didn't know where she was. Police kept trying, but they were still at a standstill a week later. One week after Maddie's disappearance, her parents go on Good Morning America and read from a book that was gifted to them. If I had no other way, I'd walk, I'd crawl, I'd run and search to the very ends of the earth for you, my precious one. Um, this is the passage that they read. And ironically, while they were packing up after the show, Maddie was found. Melissa Missy Phillips, who lived just behind the Cliftons and was the mother of Joshua Phillips, um, friend from earlier, was getting ready for work. Her only child, Joshua, had left on the bus for school. For what seemed like forever, Missy had been begging her son to clean his hellhole of a room. Um, hashtag relatable. <laughs> um, we are in my hellhole of apartment right now. Uh, it's not a hellhole. Well, I still beg you to pretend to be mad at me and clean it because I need the, um, I need the assistance emotionally and the guilt. Otherwise, I won't do it. 
Yay. Um, she said that it was dirty and stinky and he had old food in there, clothes everywhere, and bird cages he did not clean regularly. Oh my god. That would be awful. Yeah, I see why that room would smell bad. Like pet stink is the worst. And rotten food stink. Oh my oh, bless him. Bless him, bless him, bless him. Come yeah. on, Josh. Clean your room. Yeah, you're 14. Clean your room, bro. Angry at her son, she stomped in there with a trash bag to at least throw out some of the old food and maybe clean the birdcage. Um, how sweet of mom to clean the room. Um, she was annoyed picking up trash and probably wondering why her son was uh, such a little stanky pig and then brushed up against his waterbed. It was wet, and she was like, oh, no wonder it smells bad in here, but it's leaking, it's moldy, gross, um, whatever. Uh, and <laughs> Kelly, in her notes, she's like, oh, this is leaking. Why do I live in the 90s with waterbeds? <laughs> I feel like they're actually, like, more common from 70s, early 80s. Are it they? is very strange that they were in the 90s with a waterbed. Uh, that's not typical. Tip- waterbeds aren't typical. They're weird. No, they were typical from 70s know, to 80s. People still thought weird. that it was, like, good for your back and stuff. Well, I'm still going to say it's weird. It's, it is weird. My mom had one, and really? it was weird. Yeah. I, we, did I was, it, like, slosh around? Yes, it was crazy. Uh, I think that it either did have a tiny leak, and she was like, I don't want to deal with this ever again, or we were so paranoid about it getting a leak, and she didn't want to ever deal with it, that we got rid of it. All they do is leak. I'm yeah. sorry. That's literally it's a, a, what The they potential do. for leaking is fear-inducing enough for me to never feel comfortable yeah. near a waterbed. No. Anyway. I've never even touched one. No. They, you really do slosh. It's like it's like laying on one of those weird little water filled like things that you get from Rainforest Cafe. That's like for your fingers. Oh or yeah. Whatever. It's like laying on that. It's oh, so weird. It's, it's like you know those water wieners that like slip out of your hand. Yeah, that's what I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway. anyway, so y'all understand. Just you know, hard times. So she's like, oh my gosh, no wonder it smells so stinky in here. And then she's like, why wouldn't he tell me? So she's angry more, uh, and she's, like, trying to figure out uh, what's happening, and she notices some black electrical tape that's holding everything together. Um, She gets very confused, and it's kind of important that we walk you through this because it's, it's important to the case. So the bed is pushed up against the wall, and the frame of the bed is, like, a big rectangle, and the panels kind of come off. But they don't need to, right? You know, but they come off so that you can, like, go in there there and, like, clean or use storage or whatever. Under the bed, there is an X-shaped support. So um, it would be a little bit hard to store normal things down there. Um, it, it's, just a, it's just a frame to keep the box up and to keep the bed supported everywhere. Um, great. Um, I have a little. I have a little picture. Yeah, I can post that on the Instagram. It's yeah, not. That, it's yeah. not like a crime scene photo. It's just a little sketch. If no, I, I think that out. would be a good Insta. Yeah. Photo. Um. So, it, on with a diagram, you'll be able to see. It's very clear what what's happening. One of the panels was taped shut. So she pulled off the tape and realized that the smell was coming from under there. Um, all she saw at first was a white sock sticking up, and so she ran and got a flashlight and shined it in there, and then she saw that the sock had a foot in it. Freaking out, she raced outside to get the police. She did not call 911 because there were a ton of police already around looking for Maddie, so she just ran up to one of them. Um, people often question why she didn't call 911, but I think that, yeah, she was in shock, and also... Like, kind of smart that she just ran outside because they're they're literally crawling across yeah. the neighborhood at this point. So there wasn't really a need to call 911 when she could practically call out yeah. for 911. Everyone's like, why didn't she call the police? Is she hiding something, like, for no, her son? She no, she did. Just... She ran outside. She snitched on her son quick. Yeah, she did. Which... And in person, too. Like, just ran right out yeah. there. Um, so I definitely don't think that she knew or had anything to yeah, do with Yeah, I think it. she just straight up, like, um, cops go. So, uh, let's see. Um, she kept repeating that the officer 
had to follow her upstairs and she wouldn't say what she found because she couldn't like bring herself to say it um she just kept telling them that they had to go upstairs and see so the cops called two more officers and they go upstairs and that's where they find maddie's body the family is notified that maddie has been found and when asked where they answer across the street josh is obviously picked up from school um but what does josh have to say about this he says that the day of the murder oh wait yes Oh, the dog? No. Um, so after, what does Josh have to say about this? Folks, I just want to, like, reiterate, this whole time we have thought that this murder was, like, wrapped and trapped up with Larry. We had him nailed as a suspect, like, from the from moment one. And here it is, Josh, the friend. Yeah. The friend of Jessica, uh, like, blowing blowing my mind when I first heard that this was the person that actually did the murder in this case. Yeah. Um, cause you he's, would never he's 14. It. Yeah. He's a baby he's too. He's 14. We'll get to it. He's a little bit more messed up than a regular kid, but like, you know, to the outside, he's just like a friend, a kid in the neighborhood. Yeah. Nobody so, thought about this. And he had helped look for, mm-hmm. uh, for Colleen. Um, Maddie. Maddie. Sorry. He had helped look for Maddie. Um, he was out there riding bikes and, yeah, you know, he asking people. looking. His mom even remembered saying, like, hey, go look for her. And he said, okay, and went and did it. And, like, she had no idea, he, like, she was in his house. No clue. So to go from that to realizing in one fell swoop that, like, it's not the guy that's got the all the million rap sheet charges. It's this kid. Um... The day of the murder, he came home from school, and neither of his parents were home. Couldn't go out to play because apparently he had chores to do. And, um, oh, he had 22 chores to do. What a very specific number of chores to do. His parents corroborate that, though, so. Really? Yeah. Literally, his parents were like, yeah, he had a lot of chores to do. Okay, Maybe, okay, so I don't know how these people wrote down their chores. Maybe this is, like, the, you know, Empty the dishes from the sink. Put them in the dish. Yeah, they said they were, like, really, like, pick up living room. Pick up dining room. Like, apparently they weren't, like, clean the gutters and wash the car. Yeah. They were, like, little things. Okay. Okay. Well. still sounds like a lot. It's, like, a lot of chores. Anyway, um, he did some of these things, I guess. And then he did what every other 14-year-old boy does when you're alone and uh, watch porn on the computer. Ew. Um, Maddie came up to him after getting the golf balls and talked to him through the fence. He said, I'm sorry, I can't play. I have chores. According to him, she pressured him to play. Uh, that is probably not the case. According to him, he hit Maddie on the head with a baseball bat on accident while they were playing and pitching to each other. Maddie screamed, fell on the ground, and was grabbing her head where there was a small gash and, um, it was above her eye and it started to bleed. He freaked out, thinking his parents were going to get, uh... Like, they were going to be mad at him because he had already left his house to play, and now he had hurt the neighbor, so he was going to be, like, in double trouble, and he was freaking out, so he took her inside. He thought that the only way out was uh, to finish the job, which is crazy. Like, she is not, like, dying or anything. No, she's She has a small gash above her eye, and he decides that he's going to, quote-unquote, finish the job, and hits her multiple times over the head in his bedroom. Splatters of blood were found eight feet above on the ceiling fan. Um, Then he took off the panel and shoved her under the bed. Later, the detectives say that she died from the head wounds, but Joshua heard her making noise. Um, This usually might have been post-mortem, but there's reason to believe that she was actually alive and fighting for herself under the bed that we'll get to in a minute. Um, He went back in, pulled her out from under the bed, and stabbed her nine times in the neck, chest, and abdomen. Later in the autopsy, after her hands were unwrapped, um, because they had been wrapped from transport, it was found that she had a bolt from under the bed in her hands. So at some point, she was alive and trying to escape. Maddie was also naked from the waist down. Her pants had been shoved under the bed, closer to the wall, so that, that would have had to mean, if you look at the picture, you'll see where her body was placed, and they were closer to the wall. So that means that they would have had to go in first. 
Um, her shirt also must have been pulled up because there were no stab holes or blood present on the shirt in the places where she was bleeding post. There isn't enough evidence to lead to sexual assault, meaning there was no stuff found, um, but we can speculate that that was part of it. A few days went by and she started to smell, so he taped it closed and um, started lighting incense and air fresheners, adding a few each day. He slept there, he went to school, and then he like did normal life while this is all going on. Found in his room were some pieces of evidence that were like coming out of nowhere. In his room, they found stolen photographs of Jessica, her older sister in a gymnastics leotard, the missing photo of Maddie taped to his headboard, the baseball bat, and the knife. Why did he have that photo? Um, this is so messed up. And uh, he, this kid is so messed up, and he also hid it incredibly well. Nobody saw any of this coming. He had broken into the Clifton's house and stolen photos. The family caught him and was like, no, get out of here. And he ran with the photo. He also enjoyed porn, but uh, he had really, really terrible uh, preferences. He liked victim torture and CSAM. Uh, we don't like that here. No. Disgusting. He admitted to watching this type of porn when he came home from school, suggesting that the crime might have had an aspect of sexual assault. Um, after the body was discovered, he was pulled from school and taken into custody. He confessed quickly. I just, like, feel like I can't... Ugh. This case. This case is rough. It's just so awful. It, this is just so fucking gross. <laughs> this poor kid, like, not, like, any victim, like, you know. But this, why this kid? She was just walking past. Like, why did you pick her? I mean, also, like, it's his friend's little sister. Yeah. It's, like, it's so gross. It's so, it's so heinous. Like, I can't, and you're, he's 14. Like, there's just so young to do something so in insane and it's not like he hit her once in the head with a baseball bat and it was an accident and she died from that no like he made the conscious decision to yeah kill her. yeah i'm gonna finish the job bro you didn't start yeah exactly like, like you didn't start the job she hurt her head and you know when like you accidentally hurt your sibling and they're crying and you're like stop stop i'm gonna get in trouble stop yeah like i know that feeling but like not- it's it was like it sounds like it was like that times a million yeah. and he just went from a to z you know like it makes me wonder what kind of abuse was actually going on in the house because they said his dad was like kind of violent like an alcoholic like not a great guy but that makes me wonder like what what was going on yeah he clearly he clearly was petrified so up until the point where he hurt things uh or like up until the point where he hurt people and did bad things i i feel questionably bad for this kid but the second that he decided to you know uh do drastic measures i lose a lot of sympathy but there is the element of understanding that he like He's 14. He's, yeah. you know, I'm not excusing it, um, but he doesn't understand the depth of the of what he's doing. Of the situation. And that's also kind of backed up by the fact that he was just adding, like, air fresheners and had her under the bed. Like, what was his plan? Like, did he not, like, did he think that far ahead or did he just have no plan after that? No, clearly, I mean, he... Is that where the plan stopped? Yeah. yeah. Like, what, I don't think that he had any idea what to do with a body or, like, what to, how to dispose. He didn't, he didn't seem to be in a hurry. Like, no. he was going to let her Just decompose there. Into dust. Super gross and weird. Um, I hate him. Uh, okay. Some parts of the story don't line up. For one, um, Maddie's blood was found. Oh, for one, none of maddie's blood was found where he supposedly hit her um there was no dirt on the body suggesting that she wasn't dragged into the house rather lured into the house joshua claims he hurt maddie because she was screaming and making too much noise but nobody around in the crowded neighborhood had heard anyone screaming again like the mom ran outside to the police so people would have heard screaming in the neighborhood it's also hard to tell if she had a wound from the baseball bat uh because she had been beaten with the bat 
and then left to decompose. So it's hard to even corroborate whether the initial, uh, like, cut that he talked about that inspired the attack is even true, or if he just straight-up lured her in there and killed her for his own reasons. Some people feel bad for Joshua, claiming he was doing all of this to avoid his abusive father. He says that the reason that he killed her was to avoid the punishment that he would have gotten from his dad, um, which is which is possibly likely, or very probable, rather. Um, however, the idea that he did it out of self-preservation sucks, because either way, he's still just an awful person. Um, you don't kill a kid to avoid getting in trouble. So the sympathy stops where the, you know, the depravity starts. Uh here anyway joshua was sentenced to life in prison until a florida ruling came out that minors can't be sentenced to life so he got another hearing and was once again sentenced to life uh when the judge claimed that his actions made him an adult uh however um he's up for parole in 2023 got it and uh it's very unlikely that he'll get it as for Maddie, her family still remembers her as a fun little girl that she was, and her sister has spoken out to tell her story, even appearing on the Morbid podcast that covered her case. Joshua is still in prison and still a bad person. I definitely think that if y'all are interested in hearing more about this case, that you should go and listen to the Morbid podcast. It's really, really uh, helpful. Um, it informed a lot of the... Uh, like secondhand information that we got because Kelly and I have only heard pieces of it because it's part of the evidence that we've heard from other cases we used to research this but it's it's great to hear things from the mouth of people that are directly related and um, she's a really brave and incredible person for telling this story Mm -hmm. and for keeping her sister's memory alive and you know talking talking out about it and like talking about Maddie and it's cool of her yeah. to do that. Um, so those are our uh, bed cases. Those are our horrible cases. Please come back next week. Yeah. Next um, week, let's do something lighthearted. Yeah, that sounds good. What, how do we do that? Conspiracy theories. Oh, do you want to do um, Project Pegasus next week and cover it together? Which one is that one? Time travel. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so next week we're going to have fun. We're going to have more fun. We're like, sorry if we sounded like kind of you know, kind of sad. We, it, this kid, these cases suck. They're really hard. They're really hard. I'm like next to tears. So this uh, is why I don't do a true crime podcast. Cause I could not handle this. No, me neither. Mm-hmm. Me neither. I listen to it all the time, but if I had to talk about it all the time too, exactly. I would be, be, it would be very, very sad. So, so yeah, stay tuned for uh, a little present for you next week. We'll do time travel. Yeah. And until next time, time get, to get out of here. Yeah. Bye. Bye.